Welcome to Nero Knowledge. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Nero Knowledge. I am here today with Dr. Renee Mitchell, who is going to go over. Um, I'll let her explain, but it's the Chachi method of getting things done, uh, as we were talking about before we jumped in here. So uh, how would you like to be addressed? Dr. Renee Mitchell, Dr. Mitchell, Dr. None of the above. <laughs> Just Renee. Just Renee works. That's all right. Yes. You worked for a title. I always make sure that if somebody wants it, I will keep on giving it to them. So perfect. So Renee, I will let you take it away from there then. Um, so with the, it's funny with the Chachi method, which <laughs> is what I like to call it. I actually was writing about it in a chapter for a book and I had the whole explanation of like Scott Bayo back in the eighties. And then, you know, Joni loves Chachi. And then like one of the people that were reviewing it was like, what is this? And this is a whole tangent. <laughs> and I was thinking, did I ask the person to review this? Are they under like 40 and they don't really like get where this all came from. So I edited it all out. That's um, too bad. I know. Cause I'm so fond of calling it the Chachi. Yeah. You put it in your, in your, um, in their book and the chapters and the notes everywhere. And all of a sudden it's number seven in the, the U S and or the world on Netflix, you know, for that week, for some reason or another. And now we know why. There you go. So the, you know, the crime harm index, you know, I am, and I don't even know how like Larry Sherman, the chai or however they describe it in Cambridge, but the California crime harm, harm index, it was just easy to put, you know, the CA dash CHI. So I just became accustomed to calling it the Chachi. <laughs> so it's really modeled, you know, after the Cambridge crime harm index it was just it's a little different because in california we couldn't do it exactly the way larry had done it in cambridge um because a lot of people when they're looking at developing it they either can use you know the the minimum um sentencing standards like a, a median sentencing standard or the maximum and when I looked at like our California penal code, they, we really didn't have like minimum and we had some median and, but we had maximum throughout. So that's how for us in California, I just chose to use the maximum standard for everything. And then also chose to use like no previous offending. Cause it, it's the one thing. And it's, I tried to make it as similar as the Cambridge model as possible is, you know, you're looking at if you want to make an index where you're trying to even out um, crimes and trying to make it, I, I shouldn't say even out crimes, but you're trying to make an index where uh, a, a high harm crime like a homicide is really higher than something like a low harm crime like shoplifting. You don't want it to be a one-to-one -one count like we normally count crimes now. You want the harm to reflect the amount of harm that's taken place. So I looked at like the days that somebody would serve in jail if they were a first-time offender. Because if you get into looking at how many times somebody's been 
an offender, then you get into circumstantial, like, you know, conditions or things that happen. And then you get into all these other, like, reasonings that happen in prosecution, like, in the prosecution. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, like the way um, Natalie Hiltz did the, the, their index, they have a Canadian crime severity index. So they actually have it created for them already, right? Um, and some prosecutors, and in some areas, the prosecutors like put out what people have received for their crimes. So you have it created for you. In, in the US, we don't have that. So we have to build our own in all of the 50 states for ourselves. So California was one of the states. Well, that's where I was living at the time. And that's where I did my research on hotspots. So that's where I ended up creating the, the, the Chachi. Cool. All right. So let's take a step back then, because I, yeah. I kind of threw Chachi under the bus <laughs> or out in the limelight, however you want to phrase it. And how did you then um, get interested in this, like learn about it and then pull it to um, working for in, in California? And with that, does it now actually get used by Californian um, analysts or is it just something that you did while you were with whatever agency and who knows where it's at at this point? So at the time I was working for the Sacramento Police Department. So that's how I ended up using it um, in California. And I um, had done a uh, randomized controlled trial with hotspot policing um, under, so at the time that I had done the hotspot um, RCT, I was not a PhD student yet. I was um, a, was a crime analyst supervisor for SACPD. And my mentors were David Weisberg and Cynthia Lum um, and Chris Coper out of George Mason University. And they helped me design my research and run my um, hotspot program which we did it for like three months and we ran the whole experiment and had areas where there was high visibility policing and areas where there was, um, you know, your standard patrol showed that there was a part one, a drop in part one crime drop in calls for service really didn't see the effects for like your, your soft crimes, you know, your social disorder type things. And then after we ran that study, I ended up starting my PhD program at Cambridge. I think it was the year after. Um, and then through starting to write my dissertation, the crime harm index was one of the things that Larry had started building, Larry Sherman had started building with Peter Nehrud and Eleanor Nehrud at Cambridge. So through the development of my dissertation, that was one of those things where he, you know, suggested looking at building a California crime harm index and then looking at the the Chachi through the lens of the hotspot experiment. So instead of, and, and I should clarify too, so the Chachi that I built isn't actually for like the whole penal code in California because okay. God knows that would have been a painful endeavor because mm -hmm. it, it was hard enough doing it for the crimes that I had within the hotspots. Gotcha. So I only, I only took the crimes that occurred within the 42 hotspots that we had designated for our, our study. Um, 
so, and I, I can't think of them off the top of my head. You know, we had our table, but even amongst that table, you know, there weren't more than 50 crimes that I'm thinking of. Um, so, but still, even of those crimes, like going through the penal code and looking at, you know, the, how many days they were going to spend in jail. So that's how um, the crime harm indexes are created is looking at, like say for homicide, like how many years they're going to spend, the maximum amount of years they're going to spend in jail and then multiplying that by, and I rounded down to 360 days a year because you have these weird, a lot of times when you're doing research, you just have these weird anomalies. So you kind of figure out like a method that works overall. So, you know, I use like 30 days rather than 31. You know, I use like 360 for the years. I just figured out an easy way to make it like this equal index. Um, so like I said, within the crime hotspots, I didn't have every crime within the penal code. But that is pretty much how I created the crime harm index and why I created the crime harm index um, or the, the Chachi, the California one. And then as far as anybody else using it, as, as far as I know, there's no agency that's using the Chachi to look at their crime or to use it as a way of like targeting areas or you know, using it as a way to explain crime to like a city council or to the public or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But also the crime harm index in general is something that's relatively unknown. It's still, you know, uh, the Sweden, Swedish crime harm index, I, I would say is probably the one that's taking off the most because they have, you know, their, their policing organizations and national organizations. So they have actually dedicated personnel to implementing that, uh, the crime harm index within the whole police organization and into the field. Um, you know, the Canadian crime harm index that's just been used by, you know, Sergeant Helps um, looking at the victim offender overlap. There's also the Australian and New Zealand crime harm index, um, Larry's Cambridge crime harm index for the UK. So, and his article, I think it was only published in 2015. I'm probably, I should know the citation off the top of my head. <laughs> so it's still a relatively like new measure to mm. look at crime, you know? So it's, and, and if you think about like how anything's adopted, like it's not surprising to me that, you know, it's not like the Chachi's taken off like wildfire within California. No pun intended. Right, yeah. <laughs> especially after this last year, huh? That's right. Um, but I think these things like take time, and there's also other states that are looking at crime harm indexes, and I do believe that um, the San Diego um, District Attorney's Office um, is developing, not from mine, but developing their own crime harm index. Um, if I'm if I understand correctly, like through, and that's like from the prosecutor side of the, mm -hmm. um, rather than the policing side, which is also, if you think about it, that's probably potentially where it should come from a little bit more because they probably have accurate data and they can look at things more as like what people, what sentences people are 
actually getting versus like what the penal code says, you know, so it's really even more reflective of what, what society wants for offenders to, or what I should say, what society believes offenders, the harm that offenders have created. Cause that ultimately, if you read um, Larry's first paper on the crime harm index, you know, it's a, he articulates that as a de democratic way of viewing crime is that if you look at days in prison or days in jail, that is society's way of saying, this is how much harm I believe you've caused to society. So this is how many days you should spend in jail. So that's the idea that it, it reflects what we want as a society. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're truly creating like democratic values within, you know, a harm index. Yeah. When you use your, yeah, he was on and he spoke of the, um, his, his research there with um, CHI and I don't believe he uses uh, chi at all or chai, um, but I think it's great because here in the States, we always need some kind of tagline, right? Get things going, uh, a fire lit underneath it. Um, but when you did yours and you, you then implement it for those hotspots, correct? what what did you see what was what was your ability then when you implemented that into the the hotspot um what were you hoping to get out of it and what was the result out of it what can other analysts um, possibly leverage this for as well just like you did so the one thing that i found and it's because the crime hotspots were my hotspots were street segments. So you have to think about like how incredibly small they were, right? So it's not like I'm looking at a city, you know, or a state or any large, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, geographical area. So when I translated the hotspot crime from the, the crime count into the Chachi, and then decoupled like the felony from the misdemeanors, because really, the the crime harm index what you're trying to do is one you're you're getting away from a crime count right you're getting away from you know one shoplift and one homicide and into reflecting the amount of harm that that crime has caused so you're trying to create an index that measures you know these high harm but um, low volume crimes and then also your high volume, low harm crimes. But what happened with my study is when I did the crime harm index, when I applied the Chachi, it didn't change very much when compared to crime count. And the reason was, is because when you were, because a lot of our hotspots we didn't ha we didn't run the study through the entire city um we had we ran it in two sectors because we had a study going on up north and we had other things going on down south so the study was really like our downtown core and then a neighboring um sector that that was right next to like our downtown core into the residential area and so what we found is you really had we had a lot of high volume, low harm crime, a lot of burglary, a lot of theft, a lot of like kind of your misdemeanor assault type stuff and a lot of social disorder. We didn't have, we didn't have those really like high harm, low volume crimes. So I didn't have like a, like a lot of really like your 
aggravated assault, you know, or you're really, you know, great bodily harm type injuries or homicides or I didn't have a lot of those in my crime hotspots. My hotspots were really generated by a lot of social disorder and a lot of burglary and theft. So when I uncoupled like the felony from the misdemeanors, I didn't see a lot of variance. I basically saw like it didn't it didn't add a lot to the picture. Hmm. Um, so for me, that finding told me that if you if you have a small city, small jurisdiction or a rural area or I don't know, or a part of the city that is basically like, I don't know, milk toast or there's not a lot of variability, mm-hmm. like a, a crime harm index might not tell you much more about your city, right? It might not give you a new um, way of looking at your crime versus, you know, uh, a bigger city. Like if I had done all of Sacramento, I'm sure it would look different. And if you look at the research that applies a crime harm index across a whole city, and when you look at the difference, and Dan Jones did this, I have his maps from Ontario in Canada, and he's made maps of crime counts versus crime harms, you know, and it's kernel density, but you could see the shift, right? You could see the shift um, from like the red areas to the, you know, the lower like orange and yellow areas. There's a definite shift on where those areas are. So I think it's more applicable to different parts of your city and like maybe the city itself. Mm. Does that make sense? I mean, like that's kind of what I saw. Yeah, definitely. You laid it out very well. And I think that your description um, paints a better picture of, of how it can be leveraged and used. Um, because sometimes it's not just about the volume um, and, and that's what the crime counts are, right? It's really trying to, to ascertain some kind of volume measurement of where to go. I, I mean, we have 500 of these things going on within this hotspot we can put somebody there and maybe reduce it to 400, right? As opposed to, is the 500 really the biggest of concerns? Is it the most harmful to our jurisdiction, community, agency, whatever it is, as opposed to this section in this area where, like you said, fewer things might be going on, but those are the ones that are causing really the most harm based on the index itself, so... Right. Um, does it get used um, or, or did you use it for with, I know you had 50 crimes in there. Do you notice, and I'm sure this, I'm answering my own question in a sense, but that the, the crime harm index ends up being um, obviously higher for those crimes against persons as opposed to crimes against um, society and yeah. Uh, property. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's kind of, yeah, it's one of those, because we do, I think it's, and that's why I think in some ways, like Larry has a point when you translate it into a crime harm index, because it's showing the value to us as a society, right? right. So crime count doesn't incorporate what we value as human beings. When you translate it into a crime harm index, you're actually showing what we value as human beings. And what we value is our, our human bodies. <laughs> we do, like if you assault us, that is more traumatizing than if we lose property due mm-hmm. to, you know, theft. We, 
value our protecting our homes and somebody entering our home and violating our living space and taking our property versus somebody, you know, entering our cars, you know, that we park downtown in well-populated areas that somebody smashes a window and takes something out of, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's very reflective of like our value system. Um, So in, in that sense, yes, like anything to do with like the, our person, the index is much higher compared to anything to do with property. Yeah. And I think this, uh, um, and personally, I, I appreciate this idea a lot more based on the uh, fact that I'm, I'm all for this progression, right. To kind of get out of that bean counter mode of analysis to what can we truly make uh, an impact on as analysts, because the conversation has already thankfully been started. And as I've done this podcast and spoken with with researchers and academia and people like yourself who were analysts and have moved on into that research base as well, realizing that the evidence is there from the beginning and now doing the research to just start getting those uh, evidence-based practices into play and the ones that are going to be more impactful, just like the Chachi method. Um, Go ahead. I think think as this like if this ever was adopted because we have 50 states is that eventually, and I know in North Carolina, which is now where I live, um, you know, recently one of the police departments here developed, you know, a North Carolina um, crime harm index, which I have no cute fun name for that. Cause you know, and Not yet. <laughs> no, like that, that's a harder one. You can't throw in, you know, there's no Chachi Nitsuchi just doesn't work. The Norcar um, Chachi. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, but like theirs was a little bit easier to um, make because they don't have a lot, they didn't have as much variation with their, their penal codes. Um, mm-hmm. And they just did a lot of, they didn't um, look at like all the subsections. They just did like, if you had a great bodily injury, they took that and they didn't do all of the, you know, if it's by a spouse, if it's on a, you know, EMS or police officer, or if it's, um, you know, on a school grounds or they didn't, you know, there's, cause there's all these subsections, mm. but I think eventually like, let's just say over time you had all 50 States that came up with 50, you know, chachis. I think you could probably eventually take all 50 and then average them out and come up with like a national, you know, USG that we used as a national standard and then have something where you could start instead of comparing counts across the US, you could compare harm across the US and then really have a good look at what's occurring across the US as far as harm goes versus counts. Yeah. And that's always a tough question. Um, and I think analysts get the question uh, from the public, you know, hey, I'm uh, buying a summer home here. I'm moving into town. What's, well, where's the safe spot in town? What, what are you designating as safe? Like, what, 
What to right. you is a safe spot? And I think that actually even works and can be leveraged to that degree because it's not technically, I mean, yeah, you might live near the business center and you get a lot of shoplifting, but if you're near the to uh, beer alley, you might have more fights that break out and drunk drivers right. and you know things like that. So which section of town is more safe at that point might be more of the harm index as opposed right. to obviously, again, that, that volume count instead. Um, so with this, are there limitations when you were doing yours in terms of uh, your research with your hotspots in Sacramento? Um, I don't know about limitations other than being like, it's hard. And it's one of those methods that, you know, you're, you're making up to some extent, not your own rules, but like, like I was saying, it doesn't really what I had access to didn't fit what they were doing in the UK hmm. and, you know, didn't fit what they had in Canada. So you have to look at within the U S you know, what can I do if we're creating a harm index, you know, and what do I have access to? Cause even, you know, it was lovely in the middle of doing, you know, creating the Chachi, they switched our um, weapons crimes. So I had to go back, you know, the whole penal code switched like the, um, I can't remember because I'm blanking on where they were, but like the whole section where they were like switched. So I had to go back from like the year that my study was run, like the penal code I had, they were no longer there. Like I had to go back and like find like the section they were at. So it's just not, <laughs> it's not a limitation, but it's just not an easy thing to do. Yeah. I almost like the method, you know, which I was thinking, well, gee, I should have thought of that. You know, that the cops did in North Carolina, instead of like doing every single subsection, you could just like, in a way, like round up, like mm -hmm. instead of, you know, you just round up to the, the 245, the great bodily injury. And then that becomes even for all the subsections, you know, or do you want to get into that minutia? Um, but like I said, I think that eventually, if this is something that gets developed across the U.S., it could be turned into, we just have a national standard by averaging out, you know, the, all the 50 states. And that's the other piece. And I know I'm probably not answering your question because you actually asked a limitation question. That's okay. But this, <laughs> but this also, by having state-by-state state harm indexes, you could also get an idea of, because I've seen this in other areas where, you know, California, you know, I, I know we get teased for being like a bunch of liberals, but, you know, and not even like the drug laws, but there was other laws too, where you look at certain things are like a misdemeanor in California. And then you go across the country and, and, you know, I would realize like, oh my gosh, this is a felony in your state. Like, are you really? Mm -hmm to start to being able to compare like, okay, it might be a felony over here or your, or your state has this really harsh punishment for whatever and insert crime here. But are you seeing any like benefits from that? Are there any crime reductions? Are you having less harm in your city? Like, does, does that really get you anywhere? So I think like, it could be a benefit if we have these harm indexes across the country to really realize like, maybe you don't need, maybe these things don't need to be a felony. Maybe having, you know, a lower level of punishment might be an okay thing. So back to your 
actual question of <laughs> limitations, I don't know that there's limitations. It's I, I view the Chachi as just another like lens to look at crime through. I, I don't think it's like better or worse than crime counts. I mm. think it's different, you know? Yeah. I, see, now you got me back on what you were just talking about in the different states and the different levels of everything. And um, again, not being a limitation, but I, I think it shows sometimes that we don't fully pay attention to some of the other aspects of the criminal justice system when we're going through, right? So we're, we're now, um, as we use it in the Chachi method, using um, the penalties themselves, the sentencing penalties, and in those methods to develop that harm index to place some um, level of value to it. And you go across the country, like you said, in different states, misdemeanor versus felony for basically the same thing. And with law changes and cultural changes and the shifts that, that take place, um, I wonder if using the Chachi method then just kind of stabilizes that across the board in some form. Because mm. if that becomes a, a like a national implementation, if everybody then starts falling into some kind of balance with what they're measuring, what they're using, um, that, you know, just a different level. Because you brought up Cynthia Lum and, and um, I spoke with her in terms of reinventing American policing and what that looks like um, and, and different incentives. And I wonder, again, if, if that um, Chachi method and bringing it across the board in some form, or at least the states, and then across the board and having some sharing between the two, again, brings about that, that balance where we're not, we're hopefully not counting the wrong numbers right. to improve um, you know, the, the safety of our communities, the quality of life standard in our communities as well, and kind of just making sure everybody's accounted for for the most part. But so it was an interesting right. one you brought that up. Um, yeah, limitations, you know, sometimes they're, they're there, and especially when it's a different, newer way of looking at something. Um, I know some people kind of get scared off every once in a while when we talk about research and, and practices like this, but um, it's good to hear that not only did California do it, who is a progressive and very liberal state, right? <laughs> As yes. people like to say. <laughs> um, but, you know, in North Carolina is doing it too, which usually I think, eh, you know, somewhat progressive and, and liberal enough, but definitely um, has a little bit of both being East Coast side and still more of that traditional aspect. Um, would... Uh, what would you suggest for analysts who are listening, who may want to jump in and, and um, try to start leveraging, at least look further into this and then potentially start leveraging it for their own agency? So I like, I like some of the work like Dan Jones has done up in Canada with the mapping. Mm -hmm. um, and so depending on what state you're in, I mean, honestly, you might be at the level of like having to create your own state crime harm index um, and that's like out here in North Carolina so our reimagine policing using data and evidence to you know really drive their what they're going to do rather than it's nice because rather than using you know anecdote or emotion or um, you know what the media 
says they're mm-hmm. trying to, they're trying to examine the, the data and they're trying to examine um, the research to drive what they're going to do. Um, but there's a couple different agencies that have already picked up on the crime harm index and are like, okay, well, can we examine our um, crime that way? Does, does it look differently? So I like the idea of like mapping out um, your crime like by count and then mapping it out by harm and seeing what the difference is. I'm not a huge fan of kernel density mapping because I think it pulls up, you know, into that amorphous blob. Like, and that's hard to tell cops what to do when there's a blob on a geographic area. I like street segments better. And because street segments are very, like they're linear, they're very clear, you could see it, especially if you break things down into a district or a smaller area, you know, of looking at, and you know, the research does support that crime is really, you could have a crime ridden street next to a crime free street. Mm-hmm. So I think mapping out, you know, a crime harm index versus like your crime counts. Like I said, it's just a different lens. So you could see like, if this is different, why is it different? And what does that tell me? And does that adjust our approach as a city to our approach in crime? And then the other piece that I, of work that I really like is what Natalie Hiltz has done up also in Canada. Um, and she's done work about the victim offender overlap of looking at in both ways. And um, I'll just apologize on air if Natalie, if I screw up your research, but looking at, you know, both victims and offenders within a time frame of when from the time they become a victim or the time they become an offender. And then two years after to see, you know, if they are a victim afterwards or an offender afterwards. And she found this, you know, subset that they do that they're within this group of, you know, starting as an offender and that they become a victim or they were a victim and become an offender. And then looking at the harm and how they overlap. And I don't remember her percentages, but she does show like the amount of harm that comes out of that group is like higher versus like if you were, and she calls them like, um, like if you were just a straight offender versus if you were like a victim offender or offender victim. But that, I find that work very interesting because, you know, we are starting to think more broadly about the fact that, you know, if you're growing up in a socioeconomic disadvantaged area, if you, you know, are a victim of crime, you know, growing up and young, you often could fall into being an offender of the same types of crime because you are now becoming hardened or you're trying to protect yourself or what have you. Mm-hmm. So, and how those things overlap, that it's really more being about trauma, it's being trauma informed about what's occurring out there. So I think that work is also really interesting. So I think there's ways of applying the crime harm index to what we know in the field and the research in the field and analysts could look at these different things that just, once again, it's just a different lens of looking at things. And I don't think it probably like creates more questions than it really gives you answers because, and that's why I think people get uncomfortable with evidence-based policing because it's not a concrete, like, Oh, look at, here's my program that'll fix all your problems in policing and solve all the crime in all the world. 
forever and ever and ever <laughs> and everybody lived happily ever after <laughs> evidence-based policing is really about like here's what we understand here's how to apply an approach and it might give you some more knowledge or um insight into what's occurring and probably not 100 insight but a little bit more and then now try again like it, to me evidence-based policing is like an iterative process of like learning failing learning getting a little bit right learning some more you know failing some more understanding and that's what that's how we've learned in medicine that's how we've learned in most things you know and expanding our knowledge so that's how i see the crime harm index really being applying is uh, being applied is using it as a way to understand crime under a new lens and then figuring out how that develops your knowledge about your city and give you new insights into um, what's going on in your geographic areas yeah those are great um descriptors i like when you call it a lens because it's another like you said, another great way to look at it. another tool in the belt in a sense, but it's a, a good way to, to take a peek at things that are going on and then delve deeper and then right. contact somebody who's a doctor who will do research for you. <laughs> so that way when you fail, you can continue through and research just gets better from there. We all get better as it goes. Yeah. On. <clears throat> it works out great. So as we start uh, coming to an end here, do you have a, um, Oh my God, I even forget what I call them now. Shout, shout, it's not shout out. Oh man, I failed on my end of my show. But basically, uh, a call to action. Jeez, I knew it began with a C in there somewhere. Another <laughs> C word. Chachi was in my brain for the whole time. Yeah. A call to action. <clears throat> I don't, uh, and you probably told, like, told me to be ready for like a call to action, and I'm probably like failing my end. Of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, like a call to action for like the Chachi. If you're if you're interested in doing like the the crime harm index, I would definitely say like don't do it on your own because I've had people reach out where they've where they've been like, oh, I started doing this. It's like no, people have done this. Like go like go steal their work. Like I'm a I'm a big proponent of like do not like do this on your own. Like there are plenty of people that have like started doing this and can guide you through and like help you and like teach you like the cheat method, which apparently, like I said, North Carolina, man, like that is a great cheat method. Um, and I think I want to say there's other states that have done this that I just can't think of off the top of my head, like which states and who have done it. But the the evidence-based groups, like, you know, I run the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing, and we have, you know, our membership and the groups that talk to each other. Like, those are the people that can lead you in the right direction if like, you want to do this and you want to apply it within your organization. There's people to help you out. Um, and then, you know, analyzing your data, like, there's there's people to help you with that. So I would say if this is something that interests you, again, feel free to reach out. Like I help anybody who asks me for help. Like I try to make the time to either connect them with the right people or do what I can, um, you know, to help them and 
set them in the right spot. Cause even like on the North Carolina thing, I had somebody reach out to me that was like, Hey, you know, I want to do this in North Carolina. And it was just so happened. There was somebody already building it. So I was like, Hey, just give them two more weeks. They're almost done. Like, and I'll get you connected and you don't even have to do this by yourself. So like, like I said, it's not really like a call to action, but if you're going to do it and you're going to head down that path, like find the people that have done it before you and get the help because when it comes to evidence-based practices and all this stuff that's new in research and policing, like it's, it's hard, but there's people out there to support you. Yeah. Don't reinvent the wheel and network yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right. I appreciate your time, Dr. Renee Mitchell with us doing the Chachi method. Thank you very much. And you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Another great episode of Neuro Knowledge. Thank you for listening to the podcast and remember to share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite service. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at nick at neuroca.com. It is nick at neuroca.com.